Montgomery. Welcome. Good to have you here. What a fabulous Saskatchewan week that now at the midpoint in November continues to coast along. And even that snow last week, early in the week, southern Saskatchewan blanketed with it. Uh, temperatures yesterday bombing around. Uh, gosh, it was what looked in the car. It was seven degrees, eight degrees, some parts of the province. If we can continue this, this is some nice way to extend fall. Uh, oh, by the way, about 5 to 2 this afternoon, 1.55 p.m., the Sask Alert System is going to be tested. They do it twice a year. And that's where you sit there and think, everybody's phones. And it's hilarious when you're at a public place. Everybody's phones are going. Well, it's just all a safety check. And then you say, why didn't my phone? <laughs> so often we have that conversation in our household. Well... We talked yesterday with the uh, one of the board members of the Canadian Association of uh, Chiefs of Police, Tom Karik. He's the uh, commissioner of the OPP. Uh, police officers around and police chiefs around Canada talking about the increasing frequency and number of police officers being injured. Much of this conversation has really amped up in the past few days in Saskatchewan. The RCMP reporting... In five years, assaults on police officers increasing 29%. Go back to 2018, 362 incidents. Last year, 471. And of that 471, 83 were assaults causing bodily harm. Three were aggravated assault. Uh, There were other assaults uh, with a weapon, Uh, eight people disarming police officers. How has it come to this, and what should we as citizens know and be doing? Rhonda Blackmore, regular guest on this program over the last few years, is the commanding officer of the Saskatchewan RCMP, and we check in with Assistant Commissioner Blackmore in Regina this morning. Hey, good to have you back. Thanks for taking our call. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, tell me about this trend line. Is this something that you look at as as isolated to Saskatchewan, or is it broader than here? No, it, it really isn't. It, we're seeing it across the country, uh, in, increasing levels of violence towards police officers and, sadly, increasing levels of violence in general. But uh, definitely we're seeing that uh, violence directed towards police officers, and it's it's not specific to Saskatchewan, but uh, certainly more prevalent across the country than we have ever seen. Do we know why? Well, I don't think we can definitively say why, but uh, anecdotally, I think there's a few things that have fueled this. You know, coming out of the, the pandemic, we've seen a rise in gangs and gang violence. Uh, and I think, you know, some of those calls um, post the George Floyd incident, the anti-police sentiment, I think it has um, allowed people to see police in more of a negative light. Uh, some elements of the population, uh, we're very fortunate here in Saskatchewan that we enjoy a very high uh, level of support from the citizens of Saskatchewan, but there's certainly an element of the population that doesn't have that respect for police, and I think that has increased 
again, with that gang activity, there's certainly um, those individuals who are part of those gangs have a complete disregard for human life, and um, they are are willing to do what it takes to either avoid arrest or to try to uh, evade our police officers as they're trying to uh, take them into custody. When you talk in 2022 of 471 incidents, you did isolate a couple that I was referring to in my intro, but clearly that must translate to a significant number of officers who are off work for a period of time. Absolutely. It certainly does. And, you know, I I make it a point to reach out to every one of my members who is injured, uh, regardless of the extent of the injury. I I give them a call and check in on them. And, you know, so often uh, they're concerned, you know, they don't want to leave their detachment short. But uh, I have to often tell them, you know, make sure you follow doctor's orders because they want to be doing working in their communities. They want to be moving uh, things forward in a positive direction, and then they have to take time off. And when they're not at work, that workload is increased on the members who are left working. And uh, it's a struggle for them, both uh, taking the time off and being away from their colleagues and coworkers, and, you know, just the fact that some of these injuries result in lasting complications. We're seeing them more extensive. Uh, you know, when you talk about aggravated assault, that is a significant assault on a police officer with significant, uh, generally significant injuries that are a result of that. Um, so, so it is certainly concerning because when those police officers have to take that time off to recover and heal, they're not at work and not able to contribute to the safety of their communities. Rhonda Blackmore is with us, commanding officer, Saskatchewan's RCMP, assistant commissioner of the F division. So is there anything, and I'm, you know, you point out that the RCMP enjoy and policing in general, very strong trust variables and trust in this province, anything the public can do to support our police? Well, you know, I I think it's uh, always appreciated when we hear that support from the public, you know, those who don't, sometimes that uh, negative uh, narrative takes over and people start to believe that's the that's the overwhelming opinion. And we know it isn't. Uh, We've we've seen that. But, uh, you know, anything that that people can do to support their police officers, I think, is really appreciated. Um, You know, the thank you. and, and, And we see that in Saskatchewan. You know, I've experienced it myself of people saying thank you and uh, expressing their appreciation for uh, helping to keep communities safe here. But, um, you know, it's really that larger focus that we need to take in dealing with some of these issues, the gang issues, people who are suffering from mental health crises. Uh, Those types of of, uh, scenarios are certainly putting our police officers at risk. We've got individuals who are having mental health crises, and there's no... Um, real opportunities for them to get the extensive help that they need. And when they're in that that uh, crisis, it's certainly difficult for our police officers to have to uh, deal with some of those individuals because there are things, whether it be an addictions issue, people who are experiencing um, some of the effects of uh, drugs that they've taken and they are violent towards our police officers. So it, it is problematic, most definitely. And, and it's a uh, 
that overarching, I think, social issues that need to be addressed to help combat this problem. Rhonda Blackmore with us, Commanding Officer, Saskatchewan RCMP. Even on the release and subsequent release of offenders who were charged with violent offenses, a lot of this speaks to the Supreme Court decisions in the last six, seven years on bail. Uh, now there's a movement to try to reform bail policy. Is the idea of repeat releases a challenge? Absolutely. It is a very significant problem. You know, um, people get frustrated when they say, well, this individual is back on the street. And I can tell you, my members and myself get just as frustrated when we see that happening. Um, The whole uh, approach now towards bail reform is very much appreciated. We're really hoping that we can see some results from that. But when we're seeing, you know, when we look at 2020 to 2022 and 48 percent of individuals accused of homicide in RCMP jurisdiction in this province were either on conditions, parole, or had warrants for them. So those are individuals who are often repeat offenders, escalating levels of violence, and uh, it's frustrating for our members when they're seeing the same individuals or they know that, uh, you know, they just had them charged, uh, arrested and charged, and they're back on the street committing more crime. And I know in policing, like a lot in life, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So you have an identifiable cohort of people who have already either been convicted or charged with a violent offense. You've got a pretty good sense. That's a group you might want to keep an eye on and keep segregated from society. For sure. And, and you know, it's, it's certainly there are um, lots of opportunities, I think, for reform and programs and such, and there's those are available within the correctional system, uh, but they have to be effective. And if individuals aren't interested in, in that type of rehabilitation or changing their, their lifestyle, um, then they're just going to continue to do what they do. You know, individuals who have been incarcerated, if they come out and don't have the supports they, they need, uh, whether that be housing or whatever that looks like, they revert back to their lifestyle. So there's certainly an element of the population that I think are um, are certainly just intent on doing harm within our communities and within our society. But um, we have to seriously look at where should those individuals be? Do they deserve the right to have uh, freedom as our law-abiding citizens do? Assistant Commissioner Rhonda Blackmore, always good having you by. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts this morning. Thanks, John. Appreciate the opportunity. Joining us in Regina, the takeaway story, 29% increase over five years in assaults on Saskatchewan RCMP members. And as the assistant commissioner says, you get something like an aggravated assault, that's usually life-changing. And there were three of those last year. Uh, There were 83 assaults causing bodily harm. So again, an assault where somebody is injured. In all, last year, 471 incidents where somebody raised a hand to a Saskatchewan police officer. Mounties. That excludes uh, RPS, SPS, the two big city uh, police departments, as well as some of the smaller munis. You know, I was glad that uh, the assistant commissioner mentioned I was going to bootleg it anyway, but she did. And it takes a bit of courage. You go back to the summer of 2020 the uh, Floyd, George Floyd killing in Minneapolis, and the then consequent and subsequent BLM protests, defund the police, there was and still is an active anti-police element. 
and nothing gets more toxic than somebody who really hates the cops than encountering a police officer. I'm John Gormley. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Day, and I'm so glad you're with us. We were just chatting with Rhonda Blackmore, the Assistant Commissioner for Saskatchewan, Commanding Officer of the RCMP, on the pretty significant increase, and it's happening everywhere, assaults on police officers in five years in Saskatchewan against the RCMP, the number of assaults on officers up 29%. Uh, Carla in Emma Lake. Thanks for uh, joining us, Carla. You're very involved in some rural crime watch. What are you seeing with RCMP response? Um, in our area um, of the Christopher Emma Lake area, uh, Spruce Home, we have had a huge, huge crime problem in the last few months. And although our Prince Albert detachment is severely understaffed, they have still been there for us on the serious crimes every step of the way. We've had the provincial uh, or the northern crime reduction teams out several times. Um, they have been remarkable. Those crime reduction teams, especially in areas like where you are, uh, certain other pockets around the province, are they quicker on response now that you know, they've got sort of a dedicated response team? They're more of a planned response. Mm. Um, when uh, Ryan Howe, who's the staff sergeant in charge of the Northern Crime Reduction Teams, yeah. um, appeared at our Crime Watch meeting in October. I know him, but go and on. He's, he's an amazing young man. And he had told us, we knew that there was had been a response in the areas, like on the reserves, they were doing um, stop checks checking every vehicle, just making themselves very visible. Um, and then he told us at our meeting that uh, now we start the covert phase of our operations, so you won't even know that they're, that we're there. Hmm. Um, I did know just because I happened to look out my living room window one night and saw one of their vehicles go by. But they, we had several prolific offenders, and they were violent offenders, um, there had been at least three incidents that I know of where civilians were um, fired upon. Jeez. And these aren't legal firearms, but no. that's that's a whole other uh, story. Um, but they they arrested all of the the really serious offenders, and as far as I know, they're still all awaiting um, trial. Probably in the community, though. But the crimes in our area. Um, Spanned all the way from north of Shelbrooke all the way over to Melfort. Wow. And a lot of them were, well, I can pretty well say that most of them were gang-related. Like, we had a, a dead body found by McIntosh Point. Um, but like I said, three incidents where individuals were fired upon, uh, prolific um, vehicle thefts. Yeah. No, a lot of, and thanks for describing that. That's sort of lake country, but a lot of other communities north of PA and uh, the RCMP, I think has been doing a great job in there. But 
you know, ask yourself, if you can identify some really tight gang connections, they might be able to keep them in remand. But these days, um, and the assistant commissioner was pretty clear, officers are as frustrated as you and I. And, you know, you don't need, I mean, it's complex, and Ryan Howe and his group and all over the province do a lot of criminal intelligence gathering, but you know who the bad guys are. They're the ones with extensive criminal records. They're often out on parole. They're out on conditional release. They've already done a number of crimes, and they've been sprung on the bail, the easy bail policy in Canada. So you got to keep an eye on them. And the, the problem is you arrest them again, and they're released again. So there comes a point at which, and one day Canada will grow up, and we will actually have a system where if you are a violent threat, you spend some time awaiting your trial in jail where the rest of us can be safe. Quick sports story. Gosh, that was a very funny tweet yesterday. John Ryan, the pride of Regina, the punter with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, sorry, did I do that as a Packers fan? Um, he was on the Packers roster for a time. Uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, great athlete and a stand-up guy. Saskatchewan Rough Riders hire a head coach that would do anything for this city, that would do anything for this province, a guy who lives and dies Sasky. It ain't hard to hire me. Let's do this. Um, the fact that John Ryan was doing that would likely mean he's not in the consideration for being the head coach of the Riders, but good on you. Uh, also, Randy Ambrosi doing his... Uh, annual State of the CFL address. A couple of takeaways. A great cup this weekend, of course. Growth in the big markets. Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, uh, most of the metrics showing pretty positive growth. I would submit snarkily that in Toronto, you need all the growth you can get, so I'm glad there was a bit. Uh, number two, playoff games on Saturdays. Good move, likely to be made permanent. Uh, number three, the balanced schedule format. Every team will play each other at least twice, each getting a home date. And how long has the Atlantic Canada saga gone on? We get so excited about the Atlantic, the schooners, whatever we want to call them. 15 years now? It just goes on and on. He says they have a phenomenal ownership candidate, but even he conceded at some point you have to fish or cut bait. You got to get moving on it. Uh, and no report on why we couldn't have the Grey Cup before Halloween. But thinking. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. There's a funny thing in politics, and I shouldn't express surprise by this. Certain values in politics, uh, voters know when you're not on their side. And sometimes it's policy. Sometimes it's the way uh, your government may behave. Once voters have figured out you're not with them, they're not with you. And they flee pretty quickly. And usually that means in terms of elect 
election cycles. Uh, if you're in government, uh, you're going to soon be out of government. There's another thing about principle, and that's trickier, because if you speak from a position of principle, uh, people may really not like you. I mean, Stephen Harper, the dreaded evil overlord on the right, um, was despised by a number of activists in the Muslim community and others because Harper couldn't have been clearer in 2014. And there was a year left in his mandate. He was trounced by Justin Trudeau a year later. Stephen Harper stands before the Knesset, and that's the parliament in Israel, and says, through fire and water, Canada will stand by you. Now, whether you thought Stephen Harper was a great prime minister, uh, you agreed, you disagreed, you always knew where he was on matters Israel. Now, people do have a, and this is where the art and the science of politics gets interesting, and I don't profess to be an expert on this. People will sometimes remember moments where you absolutely resonated with them or where you absolutely offended them to a point that's they're not going to hear anything after that. But again, when you're speaking from a position of principle, uh, there's a predictability in all of this, right? Israel, well, you know what Harper's going to say about Israel. That's his position. Well, what's been going on now since the 7th of October after the Hamas massacres in 22 different locations in Israel is the world's first response Again, our part of the world, uh, the Biden government, and, and actually President Biden has been unwavering. The Canadian response, Prime Minister Trudeau came out early to say Israel has a right to exist. Israel has a right to defend itself. Canada is with Israel. Then Mr. Trudeau started to slowly, almost like braiding something. You know, he took a line of this and began braiding in every time he'd talk about anti-Semitism and attacks against Jews, he would say, and Islamophobia, because Trudeau is very dialed in on issues affecting Islam. A lot of people said, well, okay, but, you know, are you, what are you doing here? Then yesterday, he went a different direction altogether, and that's what caused the Prime Minister of Israel, the leader of the opposition of Israel, to push back very hard. And this is Mr. Trudeau. The human tragedy that is unfolding in Gaza is heart-wrenching, especially the suffering we see in and around the Al-Shifa hospital. I have been clear that the price of justice cannot be the continued suffering of all Palestinian civilians. Even wars have rules. All innocent life is equal in worth, Israeli and Palestinian. I urge the government of Israel to exercise maximum restraint. Okay, so he put it out there, Israel must, I urge you to exercise maximum restraint, whatever that is. So Trudeau went from being... Israel has a right to exist, defend itself, support Israel, to the humanitarian. Of course, he mentions the same hospital where hours before he said this, the U.S. government and intelligence forces have found complete office complexes 60 feet underground 
where you come and go through the hospital for Hamas. But that didn't get in his way. So what I'm building up to is this. So Trudeau starts, you know, on a principal position. He then wants to include more of the Palestinian concern. Then last night or yesterday afternoon, he takes a shot at Israel. Israel fires back, metaphorically. Um, and, you know, there you are. Guess what happened to him last night? Because one of the things that happens is when people don't know where you are, they tend to hear what you said that they didn't like. An hour after Trudeau had finished chiding Israel, guess what a group of anti-Israeli pro-Palestinian protesters did? They showed up at the restaurant where Mr. Trudeau was having dinner. work for you, Mr. Trudeau. You have lost many of the supporters of Israel. You don't have the supporters of the Palestinians and the anti-Israelis who say you have blood on your hands and they're hating you. He was driven out of the restaurant and had to be ushered away. So I guess it's a lesson a little bit on values-based or at least consistency-based leadership, I think. But uh, I just... I couldn't believe that I had to go back and date stamp because the protest was so noisy and they were yelling genocide, uh, ceasefire. So you knew it was, but maybe I thought it had happened the night before, which might have led him to then turn his back on Israel. But no, turns his back on Israel and the anti-Israeli people don't like him. So I think Mr. Trudeau takes away a message on that. Hey, midweek Wednesday coming up. Top of the hour, Saskatchewan's smartest radio listener. And a little bit later on, a group called Equité. Uh, Equité, but it's Equité, French with a little accent. Uh, they are a nonprofit run by Canada's property and casualty insurance industry that is focused on eliminating insurance crime. And this group, funded by the insurance industry, does a lot of interesting statistical work and the thing they've been tracking a lot lately, and coming up next hour, we're going to get into it, is the cost of vehicle thefts in Canada. $1.2 billion in claims last year on stolen vehicles. You, you remember when the coded keys came out and all the technology and car thefts were going to be eliminated? Well, turns out that hasn't happened. In fact... Equité says the rate of auto theft, the sheer proportion growth, is at a record high and rising. So that's coming up next hour. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Ooh, 
Ooh, that was a very nasty protest last night at that Vancouver restaurant that Justin Trudeau was ushered out of by his security. Protesters who are pro-Palestinian, quite anti-Israeli, this is the group that's been protesting regularly around Vancouver, who mustn't have heard the Prime Minister just two hours earlier throw Israel under the bus. But the point is, when your position changes... uh, So... His comments, and we talked about this, where he calls on Israel. Here's the rest of what the prime minister said. And he does this to us as Canadians all the time. He does two MOs. For years, he would tell us what Canadians thought about everything. The way Canadians think. And you think, I'm not sure sure we could debate that, do you think? Well, his other one is, this stops now. Well, my dad was a lot older than you, Sparky, uh, uh, right, Honorable Prime Minister. I'm not going to take my moral lessons from you as a Canadian on, on anything, frankly. I mean, you are the Prime Minister. I respect the office, but you don't get to tell Canadians what will stop now. And this is what he did in the, the thing yesterday where he is doing this to Israel. Here, have a listen. I urge the government of Israel to exercise maximum restraint. As the world is watching on TV, on social media, we're hearing the testimonies of doctors, family members, survivors, kids who've lost their parents. The world is witnessing this, the killing of women, children, of babies. This has to stop. This has to stop. Oh, thank you. I, I know Israel will govern itself accordingly now, Justin. Gosh, you know, I, it just, I, I, I actually worry a little about this prime minister, and I do. I mean, I'm certainly no fan, and he's made and deserved whatever he gets from his decisions in life, but he's taking some really bad advice. And when you're cravenly political, even, you know, killing babies in my script, I mean, there's ways you can talk about the humanitarian crisis without being melodramatic, overly, you know, again, Hamlet, the acting boy. Um, this doesn't advance. And again, frankly, my concern isn't with Mr. Trudeau on this one. He can he makes his own decisions. This doesn't look good on us as a country. But for him, I do worry a little personally, because when you're taking positions to deal with caucus disputes, and his caucus is fractured on this, a lot of the usual suspects in Ottawa who would love to refer to Israel's genocidal behavior, a colonial this, uh, you know, the largest outdoor uh, prison in the world is Gaza. I mean, all of those talking points and tired tropes, that group's been fairly silent inside the Liberal Party. So Mr. Trudeau, I think, is very keenly aware of how he's trying to navigate this. And... Uh, it's not going to go, not going to end well for, for him and his credibility. It's not going to end well for us as a country. Uh, oh, by the way, did you see, I don't know if you ever go to outkick.com, uh, mainly a sports page, but they have all sorts of uh, social commentary and culture. Uh, Clay Travis is one of the people behind Outkick. Uh, he is uh, part of the, he and Buck Sexton took over from Rush Limbaugh on uh, syndicated talk radio in the States. 
So Joe Kinsey is one of their essayists, and Joe Kinsey singles out the North Shore Rescue Team in British Columbia. For a third time, and this was just last weekend, the North Shore Rescue Team dropped by helicopter a rescue group by rope rescue to a hiker stranded on the backside of Mount Fromm in British Columbia. Now, this wouldn't be newsworthy, except the individual had tried to climb Mount Fromm coming up from what's called the Kennedy Falls area. And just like the other two times they've been called out, it turns out the person they went to rescue was there because Google Maps had showed a trail that didn't exist. So this individual followed Google Maps, gets in trouble, and there's absolutely, apparently this is the most dangerous way to try to go up this mountain. And they write, the North Shore Rescue uh, Team, to be clear, the area in question has no trails and is very steep with cliff bands throughout. The North Shore Rescue has actually been placing signage in this area warning of this. This is clearly dangerous and did result in an earlier fatality. So they reached out to Google. Google tells them they've changed the app. But this North Shore Rescue team, they're putting themselves at risk by dropping rescuers in by ropes and helicopters. And Joe Kinsey writes, when are you idiots going to learn? You didn't learn after a Russian scientist fell 500 feet to his death using a hiking app that had him hike off the edge of a cliff. You didn't listen in 2021 when the John Muir Trust told people to stop trusting Google Maps. And Iceland magazine back in 2019 was warning hikers and outdoors people not to trust Google Maps. Yet here we are with multiple cases in the same place in Canada, and people just keep getting stranded. Do they even Google the trail they think they're about to hike? No, they just rely on a map. So Kinsey's solution, he says, A, we just stop rescuing them. If you do this, you don't get rescued, or you have to e-transfer your life savings to the North Shore Rescue Team. Uh, they'll look, and if your life savings are enough, to come and rescue you. Uh, if you can't pay to be rescued, start a GoFundMe on the spot. After all, people pay for their kids' baseball teams to travel or to go to Washington, D.C. or Ottawa on a civics trip with eighth graders. Surely you could run a GoFundMe begging to be rescued. What if you don't have enough phone juice to do your begging? Well, save enough juice that Amazon can drone in a power pack for your phone. And if you still can't raise enough money, maybe this is where reality TV kicks in. You live stream your situation, you go to online gambling, and they'll put the odds on either you survive or you be rescued. There's a way to monetize this. And if needed, in order for your reality TV show, see earlier note about Amazon dropping in battery. Oh, by the way, free Wi-Fi will now be installed because we want to see this spectacle. Joe Kinsey in OutKick. By the way, he was just fooling. But um, there's a duty to rescue. But imagine this. People 
in rugged, dangerous areas in B.C. using Google Maps? Mind boggles. You wouldn't do that because you're smart. And Saskatchewan's smartest radio listeners here now on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.